0: Welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim. I'm head ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Pia Silva from Worst of All Design. Now, I've had Pia on the show before. Her episode was really popular and it was a while ago. So I wanted to bring her back in to talk to her about branding. So how do you brand a business to stand out in a marketplace? How do you do things like profile your target audience and how deep do you need to go? Really interesting chat with Pia. I kind of went in with not too much script and we just saw where the conversation went, which was a bit scary for me. Um, But uh, good to push outside the old comfort zone every once in a while. Hey, Um, I'd also encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, whether you listen on YouTube or Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Our next episode next week is with Annie Brooking. And Annie is a product launch hero. She's worked in Silicon Valley with people like Eric Schmidt from Google. She's launched products all around the world for some huge global corporate companies and, you know, big kind of medical type products. So, she's come from a really corporate world, but she now works with a lot of small and medium sized companies as well to help them launch products. So, what I really wanted to get Annie on the show to talk about was how to get traction for your business or your product in whatever marketplace that you're in. So, if your business has already launched, but it's not getting the traction it needs, I brought in Annie to talk about those things. Anyway, that's next week's episode. This is with Pia Silver from Worst of World Design. Really interesting. Love talking to Pia. She's she's such a hero. She has a completely different take on branding to most people as well. So I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget, if you want some help with your digital marketing, then you can head to ExposureNinja.com and request our world famous free website and marketing review. This will be delivered to you as a 15 minute video within two to three working days. And we will take a look at all of your digital marketing. We'll see what are your greatest areas of opportunity? What are maybe some areas of weakness that you might want to cover up? What are your competitors doing? What are they doing particularly well that you can copy? And what are they doing poorly that you can exploit? Um, So we'll do all of this stuff for free for you. Send you over a video summarizing our findings and suggested next steps. So go to ExposureNinja.com to request that. Anyway, without further ado, before I make any more slip ups in this intro, Enjoy the show with Pia Silva from Worst of All Design. So Pia, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Jim. Great to be here again.
0: So for those of you who haven't listened to your previous episode, perhaps you could give us a quick 10 second intro into who is Pia Silva and what does Worst of All Design do? Sure.
1: Sure. I'm a partner at Worst of All Design. We build badass brands without the BS for one to three person service businesses. And we do it in this one to three day intensive. That's the no BS part. Um, and that's the service we do. And we've kind of expanded into also offering ways to teach people how to do it themselves because we grossly priced out of the small, very small business market. So we had to create something to offer people who didn't have twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to hire us.
0: Cool. And that like elevator pitch is a really good example of understanding your target audience and knowing exactly what you do and productizing your service. You
1: got it. I have no. to walk
0: the walk. <laughs> <For> sure. <laughs> so there's, I guess, three main areas that we're going to be talking about today. First up, the traditional definition of branding and how people think of as branding would be things like logo design, color scheme, look and feel of the website, images that they use and stuff like that. Um, Obviously, it's a broad topic, we could talk for hours and hours on it. But maybe we could start with the most common mistakes. So people can identify if they might need to look at their branding. So when a business comes to you, what are the some of the signs that you're looking for that says, Okay, this visual brand needs an overhaul?
1: Um, well, there's some really obvious red flags, just inconsistency. Is an obvious one. I mean, sometimes they don't even talk about this stuff because to me it seems so obvious, mm-hmm. but you'd be surprised um, <laughs> <laughs> how inconsistent people's materials can be. Um, another one is uh, just poor design, which is a hard one to rip on verbally, but you know when you see it. You know it um, when you see it. <laughs> and, and that paired with just really um, design that doesn't match with the kind of message that the brand is trying to communicate. So this. Visual has a very like, you know, flowery, touchy feely feel, but the company wants to be very straight and professional. I mean, that's an extreme version, but I'm trying to show the alignment of what you're trying to communicate and then your visuals not communicating that. So I could say those are the biggest red flags. Obviously, there are more detailed ones uh, depending on the situation.
0: Okay, so in that and using that kind of example, then you would start with a message, you start with a kind of personality for the brand, would you and then you'd work back from that to work out what it needed to look like.
1: Uh, So actually, we start even further back than that. Um, Our process, the first step is something called a brand shrink. And it's an interview with the owners where we're asking not just about your brand, not just about your voice or what you're trying to communicate, but what you're really trying to do long term in your business. So I take it all the way back to what's the big goal here? What does success mean to you? I mean, I really want to understand what the vision of the owners is. Um, That should dictate the voice and message and how the message focuses. And that should dictate the visuals. Uh, So most people start with the visuals, maybe they start with the voice, they usually don't start with the business. And that's where I think you need to start.
0: Absolutely. So are there any kind of color scheme, things that you would use, like you don't use red, if they're a soft business or, you know, things like that? Are there any ways that people can think, okay, my brand might not be quite consistent with with how my message is coming across?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there are plenty of blog articles that will riff on uh, red means caution and medical and blue means professional and straight. And you can go read those blogs. I think that that is, I don't think that those are hard and fast rules And I think good designers break them all the time. So, you know, those aren't things that we, I think, you know, my partner who designs all of the brands is very good. And he kind of will use whatever makes sense And sometimes he'll break those rules, but there's a reason for it. So I would say that's not kind of enough to decide. Um, If you're starting at the very beginning, sure, those might be good guidelines. But I think what is more effective is if you really understand the business strategy and how it translates to the message, and then the design should fall out of that. The design should be, you know, with a good designer, the design should be very easy, actually. Because the message and what you're trying to communicate is so clear. And I think when people get into a very difficult situation with a designer, especially, it's because they didn't start with clarity. So now we're looking at this and the client is going, I don't like it, you know, and the designer's going, no, it's good design. And neither of them are talking about the issue at hand, which is, does this communicate what we're trying to communicate? Uh, and that's how all design projects need to start if they want to be successful in my experience.
0: For sure. Um, in your opinion, how how important is it to, to, to stand out? Because it, whilst you might think, well, everybody needs to stand out, there are certain businesses that you don't want to appear crazy, right? I don't want my accountant to be crazy off the wall, experimenting experimenting with stuff. I probably don't want my solicitors firm to be crazy, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. I do want them to stand out. So how do we find that balance between, I guess, trustworthiness and and standoutness?
1: Yeah, I think semantics plays a really big part in this. Uh, To stand out, you know, badassery is one piece where people come to us and say, I really like what you have to say, but I don't know if I can be worst of all design badass without the BS, you know, Mm. badass brands without the BS. And I go, oh my goodness, no, (laughs) that's our brand. (laughs) That's authentic to us. We're not trying to make everybody worst of all design, badass brands without the BS. Quite the opposite. We're looking for whatever is special about you. So standing out to me means being very clear and specific about the thing that you bring to the table that nobody else does. And then owning that so wholeheartedly in the way that you communicate your message the way that you run your business that stands out because most people are just you know floating in that generic sea of sameness it stands out when you have clarity and strength in your message and you are saying the same thing over and over again and you own it that stands out and it can you can stand out with a very simple seemingly generic message actually Mm. like i think of a company you know i'll use a big example company just The biggest ones. JetBlue is one that I really like because they communicate um, you above all. Right. And that's a really generic idea. But because they infuse it into literally everything they do, um, they really own that idea in a way that, you know, I can't remember if I flew United or Continental after I fled them because Mm. there is nothing clear like that. They don't own anything.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So we're talking there about the importance of consistency, I guess, and making sure that ties in through everything that we're doing. Um, I want to ask you about target audience and and how you identify your audience because if if you're a business that's been selling for you know maybe years and you've got a whole range of customers and and someone says to you, who is your target customer? The, the answer that often comes back is, oh, anybody who wants an X, right? <laughs> um, and and if you're the business owner in that situation, actually segmenting your audience and choosing one can feel quite scary because you're like, well, I don't want to turn off all the others. So, uh, when you know, what's what's the right answer to a question like that? How should people be thinking about how to identify their target audience?
1: Well, I think you want to start with what your goal is, um, and usually, when somebody is asking what your target audience is, it's because they're about to help you. Fix your business, right? You're like, why are you even asking? Oh, because I'm going to start marketing or because I'm, you know, my business is fine, but I want it to be better. I want to charge better prices, whatever. So if that's the reason, then I believe there's a value in focusing on what you do best. And while you can serve everyone, if you ask yourself, okay, well, I've been able to serve all kinds of companies or people or whatever it is. Um, But if I look back on my favorite clients, they all have this in common. That's where I start with any client. I ask them, you know, tell me about your favorite client. Why was it great? Tell me about another one. Why was it great? Tell me the whole thing. And I start to look for patterns because there's usually a pattern. And I find that picking a target around a bunch of your favorite past clients is a great place to start. Um, it, rather than, oh, I, you know, let's just pick a vertical and go with it. That's a terrible place. That's a terrible place to start. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, I I was thinking about, you know, even large companies like Nike and McDonald's, and you think, well, they serve everyone. But then, actually, if you think about it, they kind of serve a whole group of different niches, right? So McDonald's will have people coming in for coffee. It'll have the business people coming in for coffee in the morning. It'll have the breakfast crew. It'll have families, and they come and buy Happy Meals. it would have vegetarians, and they serve vegetarian stuff. So it feels like... you know, as you get bigger, you don't like attaching yourself to one particular audience doesn't have to feel scary, because then you can add in other audiences and, and you can use that to grow. Does that make any sense? Or?
1: No, I I actually think um, I have experienced this in my own business. And I've seen this in a lot of my clients businesses, niching down to who you target does not necessarily mean it does not mean that people outside that market are not going to be attracted to quite the opposite. So you would think, I mean, if somebody was branding our business and they said, you know, worst of all design, badass brands, um, well, you're not going to get, you know, you're going to scare away the lawyers and the accountants and the financial planners. You know who we attract? <laughs> we attract badass lawyers. We attract mm. accountants who are like, "I'm different." You know, we're we're attracting people that you wouldn't necessarily think we're attracting because we have a very strong brand, very strong message, and it's uh it's like a whistle to the people who resonate with that. Um, and you know, um, it's funny you bring up Nike because Nike did a really interesting. I think this this uh illustrates it perfectly. Nike recently put Colin Kaepernick. I think that's his name, the guy with the, you know, the kneeling. And he's very controversial in sports. They put him on a billboard. And they, a lot of people hated it because he's a very controversial ish uh, figure. So they're, the, they lost a lot of customers, but their sales went up. And that was so brilliant to me because it meant they really drew a line in the sand. And they strengthened their relationship with the people who loved them. And maybe they scared other people off but their, uh, their profit and sales went up because of it. And that to me perfectly illustrates what we're talking about here, own it, and you will you will magnetically attract those ravening fans.
0: That's going to feel scary to people who are listening, who, are worried, oh, yeah. who see the, you know, the <laughs> alienated people and they're thinking, Oh, my God, that's the last thing I want to do. How do you infuse business owners with the bravery that they need to draw that line in the sand?
1: That's a good question. That's probably actually my job. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually what I'm hired to do. Um, well, there's two, there's two parts of it. One is that I think our brand scares a lot of people away. Yeah. So the people that come to us are already self-identifying as having some of that guts and badassery. Um, and then the, you know, the second part is when I'm working with people, you know, it's a constant uh, trying to inspire them to see the long term value of this approach, and explaining that you know we we don't use badass when we first started using that word. It, it wasn't like a trendy word. In fact, it was kind of a curse word when we started using it. Now it feels like everyone says this word, but you know people were like clutching their pearls when we said it. Um, <laughs> but we said it because we thought you know you, you need balls, you need guts yeah. to do this strategy. So I tell them that and I say, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So you need to decide if you're going to take the harder path to get to the bigger payout or not, you know, and that's only you can decide that.
0: We all look up to, uh, we all look up to the people who are doing it, don't we? I was interviewing John Carlton, the copywriter yesterday, and we we're just talking about some of the headlines that he used in some of his ads. And they're so clearly brilliant, but they're so um kind of aggressive and unique and different. And he was talking about the struggle it takes for the clients and publications to actually run these ads, because they're so different. That bravery piece is, is, is massive. It's such mm-hmm. an impediment, we kind of look up to people who are doing it. But then we say, Yeah, but I'm a bit scared of doing it. I'm just going to play it safe. It's, it's really tough.
1: Yes. It's tough and it requires total buy-in because if a client, in my experience, like my clients who are successful are the ones who run with it. And my clients who aren't successful are the ones who are excited, but then backtrack, you know, or hedge their bets. And, you know, to me, if you're going to kind of limp into this strategy, it's not going to work, especially if, if you don't really believe in it because the, you know, the clients I've seen, this was more so a long time ago when our brand wasn't as in your face, so we weren't scaring as many people away. Um, I would see clients, you know, they like it, but then they'd go ask a bunch of people, well, what do you think? What do you think? Right. Like, that's, that is not going to work for this strategy because what do you think? It almost is asking the person to criticize it and then you yeah. get all in your own head. Oh, maybe this isn't the good idea. And now I'm nervous. And oh my God, this <laughs> strategy does not work for you if that's how you're going to play it. <laughs>
0: Um, Let's talk about how you profile a customer in order to build something that's going to appeal to them then so we've, we've picked a a group of clients and we've thought about what the commonalities are between them. How deep would you go into understanding that person's characteristics, demographics and stuff? Like how, how much do we need to know about these people in order to create something that really resonates with them?
1: That's a great question. Um, so our strategy has always been, because of our niche, which is very small service businesses, um, our strategy has really been to rely on the client's own experience. Um, to, you know, we take what they say as, as truth, and we're basically building on that. So it's not so much that we're trying to gather, oh, well, let me say, that paired with Why did these people, why were these people attracted to you in the first place? And trying to pull that out. What I've seen a lot of people do over and over again, I've seen this. Um, Somebody gets a lot of clients because of word of mouth. And because when people talk to them, they love it. They resonate. They hire them because of who they are, you know. Uh, But then their website and their brand reads like everybody else's. So my job is to get, uh, you know, clarity about, how they're speaking when they're speaking to somebody face to face. and That's the magic, whatever they're saying. I've seen people, you know, really confident, aggressive, tell it like it is. And then their website just looks like fluff. And I go, what you're saying here is why people are hiring you. It needs to be on your site. And it's amazing how that might be true. And they still are scared to do it because I'm saying, you're walking around with this brand everywhere you go. When you speak on stage, I, I'm thinking of one particular person. When you speak on stage, everybody's eating it up. They want to work with you. Why are you scared to put that on your website? That's your sauce. That's your secret sauce. Um, but it's very hard for people to translate that onto the written word. They think once you people start writing or thinking about what they're going to say on a website, they go into this other mode, where they, they're like, this is what a website sounds like. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And it, it's just such such a disconnect. So that's, I feel like that's a big part of my job, too, is bringing that reality to the brand.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess it's the curse of trying to sound professional, isn't it?
1: Oh, that's a great way to put it.
0: Because we're called Exposure Ninja. And since we've started, people have been saying, Yeah, but the name though, one day, if you want to go after big clients, that name it's going to be turning people off. And then we got all colorful and we added these little cartoon ninjas in and people like, Oh my god, now it just looks like a joke. Like, what is this? And all the people who've been telling us to change, whether it's business coaches, business consultants, accountants, they've got two things in common. Number one, they've all been in business way longer than us. And number two, they've not grown anywhere near as fast or as large as us. And I just think, (laughs) it's so easy for people to, 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 to assume that sounding professional is, is the way to, to come across professionally, but actually, like you say, just nailing, nailing a flag to the pole and just saying, right, fuck it, this is me. That's actually a much better way to build connection with people, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. And just imagine, you know, I, I already know from our interactions, like, this is authentically you. And imagine if you changed it based on some outside business coaches ideas to sound more professional. It's like when I first, first started networking and I had to buy like blazers (laughs) that were (laughs) ill-fitting and I would go to these networking, the whole thing. I mean, I'm like so embarrassed (laughs) thinking, so inauthentic, (laughs) you know, Uh, it, it it doesn't, that does not resonate with people at all. I mean, it's not, it's at least do you. If you try to be someone else, you can smell it
0: and yeah. <laughs> it's
1: not attractive.
0: And if people don't like you, then, you know, you're then coming through your anyway. Aren't you, so.
1: Then you're not, then they just not your client. Like yeah. not everyone in the world is your client. That's okay. You couldn't handle it if everyone was your client. So yeah. don't bother.
0: That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, let's talk about tone of voice and uh, in particular, the language that that we use because Going on your site and hearing about the badass brands and and this it's very clear that you have a a set of words or phrases that you use to describe what you do. Is this something that every business can develop?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it comes again from that strategy and what we're trying to communicate. Um, You know, we have our core values on our on our wall, and one of them is always be badass. Always. (laughs) So every time we're writing something, I too dribble out generic stuff when I'm first drafting things. It's just, you can't help it. It's
0: top of
1: mind. But then I go back and I go, okay, now flip it on its head. You know, like I, I cannot put something out that doesn't have that power to it so you know it's it it doesn't always look like that but it's still you know guiding principles and what are we always trying to communicate you know you're again like let me I want to pick a generic idea so I can fully explain this your your guiding principle might be really being all about the customer now I've written many articles about how great customer service is a terrible thing to hang your hat on however if you literally like show up at customers doors with singing telegrams and do crazy stuff like that, it starts to be okay, because you you're truly owning it. Um, and so, you know, I think everybody, if they can really find that that guiding light, they can infuse that into everything that they say. And that's very powerful.
0: Maybe you could talk us through your brand values and, and how they impact your decisions on a daily basis. And then we can see how how listeners can start generating their own brand values.
1: So one of them is um, always be learning. That's a huge one for us. But these are more like our business values. So this mm-hmm. is not necessarily but it's more like the the mission um, for our business. Um Always be learning is a huge one for us because that's how we're always growing. Um, Another one is always be badass. So go farther than you're comfortable going. And that really translates into how we do business. It's how we uh, do our messaging. It's how we we make decisions about what we're going to do in marketing. So, you know, it's like it influences how we price. Every time we're at a crossroads, we go what you know how should we what would be the most badass thing to do here and that really guides us um in those
0: principles so they're kind of like pre predetermined criteria that you can use to steer you through any situation or decision
1: absolutely um and, and like for example the always be learning one is so um it's 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 a guiding light for me because you want to feel like you figured it out. <laughs> and,
0: and you have to remember that you never
1: figured it out, that there's always more to do. Yeah. Um, and, there's always, and there's always things to learn so that you don't get stuck. Um, another one is always, um, always lead the client. So always be in charge. And that's a big principle for me because being in charge for the client is, I feel my responsibility. So a lot of people take a back seat when they're working with clients. they It's like, well, what do you want? Like, what do you need? Like, how can I make you happy? And one of ours is like the opposite. It's like it is, you are in my house now and it is my responsibility to lead the way for you and to show you how this needs to go and not, not, uh, not put you in a position where you have to figure something out that I'm actually the expert you hired me to do, and I find that for service providers especially do that a lot under the idea that they're being helpful because they're saying, "I just want to make you happy." That's actually not what you've been hired to do. You've been hired to give very high level advice and implementation that's going to help the client get where they want to go. Yeah. Get where they want to go. Um, another one is start with the end in mind. So, always know where you're headed instead of trying things that helps people tremendously with um, shiny object syndrome, and it definitely helps me. That's one of my biggest guiding principles actually is always start with the goal in mind. And that's kind of what I started this conversation with, which mm. is, uh, well, let's back up. <laughs> let's look at what the point of this business is. Let's look at what the the strategy is and uh, and move
0: forward with that. So, how did you come up with these principles and have they changed over time?
1: Um, We came up with them years ago. uh, And they actually came out of one of our goal setting days. So every year, Steve and I take a full day away from the office to do this major process that we've developed over the years. And we decided to write these a long time ago, because we felt like we needed some sort of We just needed some sort of reminder about what's most important to us so we wouldn't ever get lost. Um, And they came about when we wrote them down. And if you're trying to do this for yourself, I highly recommend aiming for this. Each one of them felt so authentic and core to who we were. And that's the same thing with brand. Like When you really figure out where your brand is, it should be kind of a relief. It should feel like, ah, yes. That is, you know, I I found I feel that that feels very authentic. So these core uh, guiding principles are all things that we kind of live and breathe all the time. And we just want to constantly be reminded of that so we can make decisions based on them.
0: So it's like you've realized them rather than created them.
1: Yes, and I do think a lot of people sit down and try to come up with mission statements and come up with core values and they manufacture them based on what they think sounds good. Right. As opposed to like what are actually our core like core values should be something that already exists, not something that you come up with and then try to aspire to have.
0: Yeah, you can't give yourself a different core, can you? <laughs> it would be painful. Right. right. Um okay, so is and I'm I'm assuming that as part of the strategy that you go through with people, some of these brand values will arise throughout the process, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually, you know, not part of our process necessarily to write them a a core. (laughs) Now that you're saying that like to write them these core uh, guiding principles, I think, um, because oftentimes, they're still figuring them out. Like I, I think, they, you know, we're putting it into a messaging, which starts to become that guiding light. Um, But because we don't do ongoing marketing, we don't offer that as a service. Now, I don't know if we ever will. Um, You know, once you build that core brand foundation, the marketing and the continual output of your brand in all these iterations is how you continue to focus it and narrow it and get more and more granular about what exactly it feels like. And I think that the core brand values kind of evolve out of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, I want to ask you about evolution and, uh, and and kind of progression then so say a company has come up with their core brand values, and they've come up with their niche, uh, and and they 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 feel like they're at home. And then they start to want to expand, they start to want to look at different areas. How can they do this without compromising, without throwing out all of the good stuff that they've done? Mm.
1: Well, I think a good time to expand is when your core business is very strong, profitable and successful. And it makes sense that that would be a good time to expand out. And I don't think it's as long as it's um, done thoughtfully, it needs to work within the story of the brand. So there just needs to be, I think, an explanation of why you're expanding to this. Um, Like, I gave you that explanation with our courses. Mm. You know, we raised our price from $3,000 to $20,000 for a one-day brand up. And so we built an online program to... Access people who didn't have twenty thousand dollars. Mm. That makes sense that we expanded in that way. We didn't start as a course company, but there was a need for it, and it still is in line with our brand mission and values. So yeah.
0: So you you're kind of looking more above and below your existing offering rather than looking out to the sides or saying right now we're going to offer something for large corporates.
1: Um, well, that's just how we ended up expanding. But you're saying in general, I think any I think any expansion there, you should have a reason. And that reason, because I think a lot of people expand outside because they don't have enough business. And so they're, and that's the wrong reason. Yeah. And that has a terrible story. <laughs> 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 so if you don't have a good story, um, it's probably you, because you don't have a good reason. <laughs> yeah, right. But you know, if you're, um, if you are doing this, it's, I think it's very hard to go up I think it's much h- easier to go down, um, and that's true across brands. You you don't come out with a target brand and then release a Gucci brand. You come out with Ralph Lauren expensive brand, and then you come out with Polo, and that's true. You know we've seen that in many many brands. They come out with the lower brand. So if you're expanding, it's hard to expand up. I can't think of one off the top of my head that's done that successfully.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean going back to McDonald's, they came out with those signature burgers. But even so, they're only like a little bit more weren't they? It still wasn't like a boutique right. brand.
1: <laughs> right. They didn't come out with like an expensive McDonald's.
0: No, no.
1: <laughs> for you know, for rich people. Right. I don't know. I, I guess. I like yeah,
0: you're right. Because when Ralph Lauren adds in the Ralph kind of sub brand, they're playing off the credibility of the large thing, aren't they? Whereas you can't really...
1: Exactly. And they, you have to do that very carefully because I've seen those brands do that and then there's, it dilutes their brand. So that's a, a delicate march. That's not my area of expertise. It just like is a very clear and obvious thing that I think translates very well to small businesses. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you can be working with one person businesses and then go, oh, now I'm going to come into a huge corporate and consult with you. Yeah. Like, who are you?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that makes sense because, like you've been saying about the the tone of voice and finding your ideal person, you're basically expanding by offering more stuff to that person, rather than then going after a different person. So you don't actually have to change your your core at all for them, do you? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that would be an easier path
0: for sure. Pierre, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Where can people find out more about you and Worst of All Design?
1: Uh, well. Thank you. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pia Loves Your Biz, B-I-Z. Come join my Facebook group, Badass Your Brand, because I have a lot of discussions about this topic there. Um, And I actually am doing a uh, a free training uh, coming up at howtobuildabadassbrand.com. If anybody wants to come join me and take that, um, I'll give you some more specific tips on how to brand your business and think about it.
0: Awesome. We'll link to those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Pierre. You're so. a superhero. Uh,
1: thanks so much, Tim. <laughs>